And the title of the lesson today is Our Love for uh, Everyone. And uh, we've got uh, a couple of passages. There we go, it all works. Um, if, you have a, if you have Bibles, uh, uh, electronic or paper, uh, we're going to look at a couple of passages today. Please turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you're visiting with us today perhaps, uh, the verses are on the screen if you can, uh, if you can read the print. Uh, if it's, if it's large, enough, large enough for you. If you have better eyesight than I do from that distance. But uh, well, let's, let's read in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 to 21, and then we'll look at, at another passage. Uh, in 1 John 4, beginning in verse 10, we read these words. This is love... Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, Uh, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Uh, Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Our next text is in 2 Kings chapter 7. And... uh, uh, we'll read from verses 3 to 9. 2 Kings 7, verses 3 to 9. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was, and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, golden clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent, and took some things from it, and hid them also. Then they said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. God's word is awesome. Now, you know, um, when I was a boy, there was a slogan that was very popular. And some of you are just old enough to remember it. And uh, the slogan was, it went like this, make love, not war. Remember that one? And 
since 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 I was a boy in the last half century or so, um, <laughs> that slogan has been uh, has been adapted for use in multiple forms. The latest one being "Make love, not Brexit." <laughs> and uh, you know the the slogan and its many offshoots they tend to show up at demonstrations during times when people get confrontation fatigue. Okay. Uh, you know, the original sprang out of the Korea and Vietnam Wars, which themselves were not that long after the last world war. And uh, the present make love, not Brexit, uh, is in the wake of another kind of confrontation fatigue. Not physical, not with soldiers, uh, but still wearying. And suddenly, at least among some, the idea of loving everyone is in fashion again. And, uh, you know, love is, uh, love is such a, an, an, an all-obsessive thing. For us, uh, it, 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 the search for love obsesses us. The search for love uh, eludes us at the same time. Um, you know, uh, we're not neutral about love. We write songs about love. We write songs about looking for love. We write songs about losing love. We write songs about betrayal in love. We write songs about the thrill of love and the blindness of love uh, and the disappointment of love. There's no other activity of humans that grabs our attention uh, as much as love. Now, think about it this way. Uh, we probably spend more hours in sleep than in any other activity. Uh, but we don't write songs about sleep. Do we? Uh, you know, between the ages of 20 and 70, in our waking hours, we probably spend more hours at work than doing anything else. Uh, but we don't write poetry about uh, cleaning or programming, you know, teaching or being a GP. Uh, and yet we do about love. And uh, today as we, as we think about what we can learn from the texts that we've, list, that we've looked at, and as we think about our theme today, which is our love for everyone, that was the title that was given to me, uh, I want us to look at it uh, in this way. Uh, let's talk about how love is elusive since we don't understand it. Uh, and yet, love is available if we submit to it, uh, and how we can indeed love everyone, uh, but only if we're humble. Okay? And so, first of all, love is elusive since we don't understand it. You know, uh, love is... Uh, so, we've talked about kind of our pop song notion of love. And, uh, and yet, love uh, is, not, is not woolly. Okay, the, the pop song notion tends to be a little bit woolly. Uh, love is not woolly. Love in the Bible is not woolly. Love, as we just looked at it in 1 John chapter 4, uh, is not woolly. It is defined by God's love for us. And uh, there's that word from the communion. It is demonstrated by Jesus's, uh, the, you know, the brother said, will, willing self-sacrifice. I like to use the word, his glad self-sacrifice for us. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the picture of that love, uh, the love that we find uh, portrayed to us in the Bible is, is, is of the cross. And uh, if the cross is our picture of love's definition, it would seem that our pop's, pop music notion of love, it needs a little toughening up, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Amen. Uh, and so, you know, John says, you know, since God so loved us, He loved us, He loved us as demonstrated by his, his son's sacrifice on the cross. That is the, that is the picture. That, it kind of, it's a picture that says it all. Um, uh, since he loved us in that way, um, 
we're exhorted, let us also love one another. Now, when John is writing in 1 John, he's, he's, he's reflecting some words that he wrote in, in his gospel. Uh, even, even back in his gospel, the, you know, he gives, he gives this long, that longer than any of the other apostles, he talks about uh, everything that Jesus said uh, to his disciples, instructing them during those final hours of his life, during that last night before the final hours of his life. And, uh, you know, uh, John, in John's gospel, we, we found that Jesus talks about how greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his brothers. Um, we're supposed, you know, in John 13, 34 and 35, those, those famous words where, where Jesus gave us the new command, uh, we're told to love one another, remembering how Jesus loved us. And, uh, and, uh, and that by this all people would know. All people would know that the Father has sent the Son. John says some, some even more incredible things. You know, he says that, uh, he says no one has ever seen God. Um, you know, would you like to see God? Most accounts in the Bible of people seeing something of the glory of God involves them falling on their faces uh, or wanting God to go away from them. And, uh, uh, you know, we understand from those passages that God's holiness and God's love is so pure and uh, so without uh, the corruption, the mixed motives that we have, uh, that it produces a sense of shame in us because we realize when we see Him what we ought to be. Um, and, uh, and, and yet, and yet, and yet, in His Son, you know, God came in, in, in a human form and, uh, and we were able to. We were, the disciples were able to see Him, people were able to see Him, we're able to, uh, we're able to see Him in a sense as well, because we have, we have the accounts of Him. And uh, we're able to see God in human form uh, without being burned up and dying. Yeah. Okay? Uh, in, in, and, and, and yet, even more amazingly than that, uh, John tells us, John uh, makes a bold assertion. He says, you know, people can see God uh, not just by imagining uh, Jesus walking on the face of the earth. He says, people can actually see God when we love one another. When we lo- love one another as Christ, as Christ loved yeah. us. And uh, uh, in some way, when we love one another, who God is becomes revealed to the world. Uh, which is uh, both an inspiring and a very, very challenging thought. Um, now, why is this love so elusive to us? Why is this love so elusive to us? Uh, here's a thought. Um, uh, in our day and age, and in the world that we live in, uh, we're so scripted. We're so, uh, it is so much, it is such an assumption of ours um, that, that it is our right to pursue personal happiness above everything else. Okay? Uh, and and, and uh, uh, the thought I want to leave with you is that's the reason why love is so elusive to us. Yeah. In our day and age, that's the reason why love is so elusive to us. What do I mean by that? Now, if you ask the average person, if you went out, uh, the notion of marriage is still very special. It's not as sacred as it once was. Um, however, if you ask the average person why they would want to get married, what they would hope for in a marriage, and what might make a marriage not work out, if you ask them those three questions, you know, if you, if you want to get married, why would you want to get married? Um, uh, uh, what would you hope for in a marriage? And what might make a marriage not work out? Uh, the typical answers are very illuminating. Um, I think you would get answers to the question, why would you want to get married? You might get an answer like, 
you know, I want to get married so that I could be with someone who's a soulmate and we would help each other be all that we can be. Something like that. You might get an answer like that. Uh, to the question, what, what would you hope for in the course of your marriage? Well, following in line with the first answer, um, you might get an answer like, uh, well, what I would hope for is kind of a mutual supportiveness, but without stifling one another. Okay, just a mutual, mutual supportiveness and without stifling one another. And then following on from that, um, what might make a marriage not work out? Um, the, the, the answer might be, well, if the other person insisted that I sacrifice my goals, my career goals, my goals, you know, that might be the end of it. That's actually fairly standard. That's actually fairly typical in a world that is scripted in, that assumes that above all else, I have the right and no one should stop me pursuing my personal happiness. And, uh, you know, the idea, uh, as happened in earlier times or maybe in other parts of the world, um, the idea that you'd want your marriage to serve a goal bigger than yourself, like building up your family or, or, or building up your community, for example, uh, let alone glorifying God. You know, which is the, the Christian idea. Um, that idea is more and more foreign to the world we live in. And I think that's why love is so elusive to us. At, in a bottom line, uh, love is elusive because we are a very selfishly ambitious people. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so love is elusive. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, in spite of that, in spite of the way uh, society is going, if you will, in spite of that, um, people, the idea of a glad self-sacrifice as the ultimate picture of love still resonates in the heart of people. It still resonates, you know. Um, you may not see it in the, in, in, in the answers that people give in a, in, a, you know, in, a, in a survey of the kind that I was suggesting. You may not see it there. Um, but you do, see it, you do see it in films, for example. You see, you see it in art. You see it in films. The, you know, the most moving films often those based on true stories are usually about someone who gives at risk to themselves. Yeah. Okay, so for example, a few year, in the last uh, couple of years, uh, did you see the film Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah. If you haven't, you should see it. Yeah. You know, uh, the thing that moves us is uh, the story of a man who gives and gives and gives to save others, um, but at great risk to himself. Uh, going back a bit further, Schindler's List. Remember Schindler's List, or uh, uh, this one? This one you may not have seen, but it was a it was a, an Oscar winner, and uh, uh, it's called A Beautiful Life. Every Christian should see A Beautiful Life. Yes. Go get a hold of it. Okay, it's in Italian with subtitles, but you should see it. Um, and uh, it, it's the story of a. Uh, uh, a, a Jewish man and, and his, his wife and, and their child who end up being you know, caught up in the whole uh, Second World War, uh, pre-Second World War, and then through the Second World War, uh, they, you know, they spend it in a, in a concentration camp, but it's, it's delightful. Yeah. It's convicting, delightful, and you see the suffering through the eyes of the father who's trying everything he can to not, uh, uh, to not disappoint and drag down and discourage and destroy the faith of his, his young son. Even as he takes him through a life in a concentration camp, you know. And, uh, 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 but th- those films resonate with us. Yeah. There, there's something about that where we still understand, even though it's, it's more and more and more of a foreign concept to the world we live in, we still understand that the ultimate picture of love is, is, is self-giving love. It's one person taking a risk and sacrificing for another person. Mm. We st- people still understand that, and uh, and and so 
And so there is hope. People, people do understand. There's hope that people will understand the Jesus story. Yeah. Okay? Uh, secondly, love is available if we submit to it. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, um, uh, so as I said, in 1 John 4, or in John's first, gospel, uh, first letter, in, you know, all, all of the letter, uh, in many ways he's building on his, his account in the gospel. And uh, in the chapter we read, uh, you know, especially in, uh, if, you, if you think back to chapter 13, to the foot washing chapter, where, uh, where Jesus said, if we love one another, the world will know that the Father sent his Son. Uh, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, it synchronizes with it. There's resonance with verse 14 of chapter 4, uh, which we read, where it says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be uh, the Savior of the world. Okay, we have seen and testify. Uh, we testify with our mouths, but it's in the context of a passage about loving one another. And, uh, and, and you know, when we testify with our mouths, but also when we love one another in, in that way, uh, it, it, it's, it's another way. It's like, it's like you're proclaiming the gospel twice. Once with your words and, and once with your love. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, and so jo- you know, John says, uh, God lives in, he lives in those who acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And now the word acknowledge, it, it doesn't mean just agreeing in your head, does it? Uh, to acknowledge means to obey. Yeah. To acknowledge means that, that the word of God, you believe the word of God enough that you put it into action. And uh, it's not just agreeing in your head. He goes on to say, there's no fear in love, but rather that perfect uh, love drives away fear. Uh, I think when he says that, what he means is, he means the fear of people. There's a fear of God, which is right and healthy and includes the idea of revering God and uh, rejoicing in God and being in awe of God. Uh, But perfect love drives out fear. Because he says fear has to do with judgment. Um, And a Christian doesn't need to live in fear of judgment. Okay, it's all over the Bible. Uh, In Romans 8, we're told there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. You know? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, there's a, there's a funny little passage where, where Paul says, uh, he, you know, essentially he says, I'm not, I'm not going to quote it ver- word for word, but essentially he says, I don't care what you think about me. Yeah. In fact, I don't even care what I think about myself. <laughs> because it's the Lord who judges me. Yeah. You know? And, 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 but how does the Lord judge me? Well, there's no condemnation. <laughs> so if I only care about how the Lord judges me, well, He set me free. And therefore, there's no fear. There's no fear of judgment. So, and so, going back to Romans 8, and so, who will bring any charge? Who will bring any charge against us? And so, perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love is really, first of all, understanding how much you are loved by God. Yeah. That's the only perfect love there really is. Um, we, people can love others when they understand how much they are loved. In a small way, that's true in life. You know, children who grow up in families where, they, where they're loved tend to also be able to be those that are secure enough to be giving to others. And as Christians, uh, we need to remind ourselves often and learn to live in the reality daily of the fact that, that God loves us. God loves us this much. You know, cross much. Yeah. This much. And... Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so therefore, perfect love, uh, perfect love drives away fear. Since God took away judgment, what are you afraid of? 
Don't be afraid of humans judging you. Uh, we fear people because we don't see beyond their anger or underneath their stubbornness uh, or their reactiveness or their low boiling point or their awkwardness. Uh, we don't see as Jesus sees. Jesus saw their lostness. They are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Um, Jesus saw our blindness. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus saw our powerlessness. Apart from me, you can do nothing, He said. Uh, you know, sometimes we also fear people because we don't fear God enough. Slightly more controversial thought. Uh, but it's biblical, it's true, it's what Jesus says. Jesus said, you know, don't fear. Don't fear those who can only destroy the body and after that can do nothing. But He said, you should fear. You should fear the one who, after destroying the body, can throw your soul into hell. He did say that. And if you don't have that fear, uh, then you won't have a properly ordered perspective of life and all things eternal and temporary. Uh, but if you do have that understanding, then everything else falls into place. Priorities fall into place. And, uh, and uh, so that's something to think about. Um, uh, God is our judge. Other people are not our judges. But God is our judge. So there ought to be a, a, a holding Him in awe and a taking Him seriously. Uh, John says here, you know, we, we know the love that God has for us. In fact, we rely on the God that, has lo- uh, that God has for us. Uh, God is love, He says. What does that mean, God is love? It means that at the core of His character, He is love. You know, what is character? Character... In us, it's something that we do when nobody is looking. Character is what we do when we're not thinking. You know, what we do unthinkingly is, reveals our character. One, one driver is, is driving along, you know, and, and when, when, once you've learned to drive, you kind of do it automatically without thinking about it too much. So, you know, one driver is driving and somebody else cuts in when he shouldn't. And the one driver swears. Another driver... It has the same situation, but he doesn't. Mm. Character is revealed mm. in those moments when you're not thinking, but you have to react. You know, God in His core character, if I can put it that way, um, uh, He is love. The love that gladly sacrificed self on the cross, if I can put it this way, is the way that God lives every day of His life. Wow. Yeah. Those who talk about days is meaningless <laughs> when you're talking about God. Um, but perhaps it helps us understand it. You know, car- um, uh, love, uh, love is God's default setting. <laughs> love is God's default setting. The Bible says that we were made in His image. And therefore, I believe when we were made, our default setting is also love. But, but something else came in. You know, pride came in. Self-love came in. Uh, wanting to be our own God came in. And, uh, and so, uh, and so, you know, and so the, the default is, 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 uh, is, is corrupted. Um, in a way, all of, all of what God does in our lives, all the discipline, all the work He does in our hearts through the Spirit, all that He does, all that He does in raising us up to be mature sons and daughters, all that He does is kind of like pressing that button that says, restore default settings Amen. it's a way to think about it um, you know 
and, 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 and maybe because that's the way we were created, maybe that's why we are so obsessed by love, as I, as I said in, in my introduction. Um, how, how can we love? How, how is it possible to love like the holy God? How can we do that? Now, I think it's not a surprise that uh, right in the middle of this passage, when he talks about how, how, how great love is, but also how difficult love is, he inserts, um, you know, God has given us of his spirit. Now, he says it in the context of this is how we know we live in him. Um, he has given us of his spirit. Uh, again, we're reminded of other passages. The Bible teaches us that the spirit testifies with our spirit that we're sons of God uh, and children of God. And uh, 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 but uh, uh, but I think I think it's very appropriate also because you know when we think about such a high standard of love, uh, uh, you know, just realistically speaking, uh, who is going to love like this? And if we're even going to grow into that kind of love, how is that going to be possible apart from the Holy Spirit? It is impossible. It's impossible. Anybody who's tried, and I know that all of us, or nearly all of us, have tried. Um, uh, we quickly come to the conclusion that it is impossible without the help of God's Spirit to live as Jesus did. And even with the Spirit, it is something we grow into over a lifetime. Right? Um, and uh, And so God has given it. It can only be with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can love like Jesus loved. Um, to love like God loves. You have to be willing to let God restore default settings in your life. Uh, and that takes a daily act of surrender. A daily act of submission. Love is available, but only if you submit to it. To it, to love, to God's love. Really what that means, submit to God. And, uh, 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 you know, John... Uh, John is writing. What was John known as when he was a young man? He was one of the sons of thunder. That's right. All right, a son of thunder. But he became known as the apostle of love. The very John whose whose writings we're we're reading. As Jesus transformed him, uh, he changed. How do you get transformed? Well, Romans 12.1 tells us, 1 and 2, tells us that uh, in view of God's mercies, remembering, remembering how we're loved by God, um, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. What does that mean? It means every single day we need to have a mindset where we say, Lord, my mind, my mouth, my lips, my teeth, my hands, my legs, I offer them to you. You know, I, I, I surrender them to you uh, to be instruments of righteousness. I, will, I, won't, I won't prioritize what I want in my heart. I will submit to your priorities. I'll, I'll, I'll live life uh, I'll live life as you want me to live. I will try my best and I will rely on you and please help me. You know, as we, as we do that, as we daily do that, you know, then, then uh, Paul says in verse 2 of Romans 12, um, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Now that's a very interesting command. He doesn't say go and transform yourself. But he, he says be transformed, which implies somebody else has to do the transforming. God has to do the transforming in you. But at the same time, it's a command. Be transformed. How can it be a command when somebody else has to do something? I think what he's hinting at is, yes, it's God who who does the transforming. But we have a choice to make. We have a part to play. And that part is, is that humble submission. That humble surrender. That daily willingness 
to reorder our priorities so that uh, we, we're living a life that says, uh, not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that is when, that is when we, uh, that is when we access the power of the Spirit and, uh, and He helps us. You know, uh, uh, in your own life, when I say things like this, or when something like this is said from the pulpit, immediately there, there, there probably are a flood of questions. And you're, well, what about in this situation? What about in that situation? And so, uh, what I would urge you to do is, go and ask somebody who's strong. Go and ask a strong Christian. You know, in, when Mohan said this, in my situation, how do I apply it? Go and ask a strong Christian. Finally, point three. We can love everyone if we're humble. Now, um, going back to the, the second passage that we read for a little while, you may be familiar with that story. It is a, um, it is a captivating story. It is, um, equally, um, it is equally gripping and humorous when you stop and think about it. You know, uh, these, these lepers, they were, you know, they were in Samaria, which was besieged by the Aramean army. Uh, there was, as a result of the siege, um, there was a famine. Uh, they were locked into their city, but these lepers, being lepers, they were the only ones who were at, this, at the city entrance. Uh, so, according to the customs, according to the laws, there was uh, a fear. The lep- you know, leprosy was considered unclean. Uh, they had to be outside the city. Uh, they were the only ones there, and uh, you know, like uh, like four intellectuals, they didn't really have like a huge amount of faith, but they kind of had this conversation, like sort of like four intellectuals in a cafe. You know, they just reasoned. If we stay here, we might die of famine. If we go there, we might die at the hands of the Syrian army. But if we go there, maybe they'll spare our lives. Okay, one in three chance. I like my chances, let's go. That was kind of it. It wasn't like some super faith, you know. Uh, and yet God rewarded that. God rewarded that initiative. You know, they, they went and they found that, that God had actually acted and uh, you know, in the in the previous chapter, there's a uh, there's a, there's an episode where again the the the, the Aramean army is coming uh, this time to a city called Dothan, and they're coming for Elisha. And Elisha's servant is terrified. You know, he sees he wakes up one morning and he sees uh, the surrounding area filled with Aramean soldiers. And 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 Elisha prays. Elisha first tells him, actually, don't be afraid. He says, there's more with us than there are with them. To which the servant is thinking, okay, what do you know? What do you? And Elisha prays, God, open his eyes. And God opens his eyes to see the the, the hills surrounded uh, by chariots of fire and horses. You know, uh, by by the spiritual forces that are there, that are arrayed. Elisha didn't pray, God, send chariots of fire. He just prayed, show him what's already there. You know, and 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 for us, we need to live seeing uh, seeing the spiritual landscape. Not, not the physical landscape around us. Because I believe that if we could look through the air somehow, if there was some portal by which we could look through what was really around us, we would see angels filling this room. More than we could imagine. Magnificent beings. I believe that. Um, and, uh, and so, um, uh, you know, uh, when it says that, that, that God, had, God had caused the, uh, the Aramean army to be scattered because they heard the sound of chariots, I think we're meant to remember that episode in the previous chapter. And, uh, and so God had sent His spiritual forces and they thought that the Israelites had hired some other foreign armies and they all scattered. And so these lepers, they, they come and uh, what do they find? 
They just find booty. They find plunder. Yeah. You know, they find silver. They find everything that was left behind. And there, you know, at first they're just like eating away and, and filling themselves up. And then they go to another tent and then they get convicted. You know, they, they, they talk to one another and they say, no, this is a day of good news. Let's not wait till the morning unless punish, so, so the punishment won't overtake us. You have to think deeply to understand um, uh, what humility these four lepers had. Uh, where did I say they were? They were outside the city of Samaria. Yeah. There was a siege. The soldiers were prepared to crush Samaria, the opposition soldiers. Their own people had put them out of the city. And they felt bad that they were not telling their people who didn't want them in the city about the good news. They were so humble. They were so moved. They had found deliverance and riches. Um, Such was their sense of having been humbled by the overflowing grace of God that they, they, they they were compelled to go and tell. And so uh, we can love everyone, uh, but only for humble. Yeah. You know, only if we live daily in gratefulness, only if we practice uh, remembering how much has been done for us. You know, for, forget about the bad things for a moment. It's easy to focus on those. Um, forget about you know how someone treated you or didn't treat you. You know, uh, but 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 no, I have been, I have been blessed overflowingly uh, by the grace of God, and therefore. Therefore, this is a day of good news. And, uh, and so we can love everyone if we're humble. Uh, our love for everyone. Let's, let's remember. Love is elusive. Maybe you're here today and uh, you're visiting and, uh, and, and you, you, you feel like love, love is elusive. Or you feel like, wow, my, my understanding of love needs a little bit of stretching. You know, p- please talk to. Talk to the person who brought you here. Talk to someone here. Uh, ask. Ask to find out more about what the scriptures say. About how, how can we connect with the God who loves us that much. Uh, because love is available. Uh, don't let the word submission scare you. It's another word that's not very popular. But... It simply means to reorder our priorities. Yeah. To reorder our priorities in line with God's priorities. And, uh, and then finally, we can love everyone, but only for humble. And by humble, mostly what I mean is, is it's let's rejoice, let's remind ourselves. Let's be humbled by uh, the powerful grace of God. And, uh, and be moved, therefore, uh, to love everyone. Thank you.